I love that song. Especially that phrase, this is where the dead things come back to living. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey this morning, but I'm telling you, it's here in God's presence that dead things can come back to life. Dead dreams can come back to life. Your heart might feel dead, but it can beat again. Amen. If you're new with us here, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Dan. I'm the discipleship pastor. Pastor Russ, the, the lead pastor, is obviously not here today. Um, we're only like three feet difference in height, so it's not hard to recognize the difference, but I just want to be clear. Uh, he's not here, and uh, so I'll be sharing God's word with you this morning. Uh, but uh, just so you know where he's at. He's actually in Asheville right now, um, living the hard life. It's difficult, but someone's got to do it. Uh, no, he's not there on vacation, actually. Uh, he's, a, he's actually a coach of a baseball team with his son. And so they had a last minute, yesterday, there was like a, la or maybe the day before yesterday or something, last minute change in the schedule. So they drove up yesterday uh, to be with their team and, and to play baseball. So very holy, it's a holy calling, it's set apart, and we bless it in Jesus' name. So, uh, you know, the reason I, one of the reasons I, I really appreciate the opportunity to bring it up is because I'm about four months into my uh, tenure here, and it's been quite a journey, and I've loved every minute of it. But uh, as, as someone who's new, if you've ever had a new, you know, taken a new position at a new place, you kind of, you get to see things from a different perspective right? It's kind of fresh. Um, and depending on your personality, you might see mostly negative things. You might see mostly positive things. And I'm not going to tell you which I am. But one thing that did stand out to me is just in, even in my conversation with Pastor Russ, he called me yesterday and he was just checking in. He said, hey, how are you doing with the, the sermon? Is there anything I can do? And, and really that, if you know Pastor Russ, he's, he's very, just that way, right? He wants to help. He wants to be a resource really to everybody, uh, to anybody that he meets, and it's, it's a real blessing. But this is what stood out to me. In passing, he just said, you know, I'm, I'm really been praying hard for these past few days for you and for the church, and, and uh, you need to know, and he didn't ask me to share any of this, and I might even be rebuked, who knows, when he comes back. But you just need to know that uh, Pastor Russ and this pastoral staff, um, they love you. And they are constantly praying on your behalf. Uh, they're constantly talking and they're encouraging. They're constantly encouraging the leaders. Hey, be praying for the people you minister to. Be praying. And it is a privilege and an honor. I just, I think it's, it's appropriate for me as the new guy to stand here before you as the people and to let you in a, a little bit behind the scenes to see that there is, there is a, a trustworthy level of character in the authentic heart of love for you as the source from which ministry, uh, ministry springs. That it's not a love for an institution called church, it's a love for the body of Christ who are made up of individuals like you. And I'm and I, and I didn't honestly, when, he, when, he, when I was talking with him, I just, 
he was like, well, man, I, I bless you, and you're going to do great. And I was like, thank you. And, and honestly, I said, just to be, and it was just, it was almost childlike. When it came out, I was like, boy, I sounded like a little kid, you know. But it just sprung, for, it's sometimes, right? Something springs from your heart. And I just said, I'm just glad to be a part. <laughs> you know, those, there are those moments in life. It's like, you remember, I don't know if you guys were ever the kid who was picked last for a team on the playground yard, but I, I can't imagine what that's like <laughs> when we played basketball. <laughs> but there's something special about when you, don't, when you feel like you're a part, and, and, and which is great because it really leads into the sermon. We're, we're talking about who we are as Four Points Church, and we are a people who reach the least the lost, and the lonely. And this morning, I want to talk about the lost with you. So, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 15. And what I'd like to do is I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the text that Pastor Russ has entrusted me with. It's Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. It's right here. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. As I read these scriptures, let me just say this. As I read these scriptures, I want to encourage you, uh, posture, your, posture yourself, excuse me, to receive the scriptures as they're being read over you. Because here's the thing. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And I want to submit to you this morning that that's exactly what we're doing right now. You're not here to hear me. You're here to hear Jesus. So I'm going to read this scripture, and I want you to just receive, and then we're going to dive into it, seeking what the Holy Spirit has to say. Verse 2, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just submit ourselves to your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and speak. You are the spirit of truth, and you are the spirit who leads us into all truth. So this morning, we humble ourselves, and we submit ourselves under your powerful work and ask that you lead us into truth, truth that frees, truth that transforms, that we might go from this place living a life that reflects the glory of God. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. You know, when Jesus shared this parable, he shared it with three groups of people. And Pastor Russ has spoken on this, the first verse of this passage for the past 
couple weeks, and he did a wonderful job of identifying these. And the first group that we see is the tax collectors and sinners, right? The tax collectors, I speak for a living. The tax collectors and sinners all gather around to hear Jesus speak. The second group of people that we see are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then the final group of people that are not mentioned, but we know that they're there, are the disciples. Because we're reading a scripture written by a disciple who was an eyewitness. So he was there witnessing what was happening. So the disciples were there. And I, and I bring this up because I think Luke, who authored this book, purposely identifies these three groups of people as he presents these parables because it provides a framework for understanding what Jesus is trying to show those hearing him then and those hearing him now. So I want you to hold on to that. And the occasion for these parables is because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're, they're kind of bothered. They're hot and bothered about Jesus hanging out, eating, talking, speaking with sinners. And last week, Pastor Russ talked about this. He said, when you eat with someone in their, in, in a, in their home, what that meant was an acceptance of that person. And so if you were eating with sinners, it was like saying, I accept you into my family. I accept you as you are. And the Pharisees had been conditioned and taught that when you sin, you're unclean. And when you're unclean, you cannot be a part. You're not a part of the family of God. You're outside the family of God. And so concerned with that purity were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that they would not even eat with sinners because they were afraid they would become unclean by being with unclean people. So that's why they're looking at Jesus going, what are you doing? You're supposed to be this rabbi. You're this, supposed to be this teacher, and you're hanging out with these sinners. You're unclean. You should be hanging out with us because we're clean. We're on the inside. We're the family of God. So Jesus tells them this parable. And when he does, I believe these parables, and today I'm going to be talking about the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. The next week, Pastor Russ is going to be talking about the parable of the lost son. And when Jesus tells these parables... What he does is he forces his hearers, both then and now, to consider and to reconsider three things. Number one, who God is. Number two, who the lost are. And number three, who we are. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about those two, three, those three things. From these parables, who do we see God revealing himself to be? Who are the lost and what does that mean? Number two, 
And finally, number three, who are we? Who are we? So the first thing we're going to talk about is who God is. The first parable that Jesus chooses to share in this setting is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, these were an agrarian people, meaning they farmed and they watched sheep. They took care of sheep. That was the main thing that they did. And the imagery of sheep and shepherds is not new to the Israelite people. If you look back into the Old Testament, you'll see Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And again and again, you'll see allusions to God as the shepherd. And I think that's exactly why Jesus starts with the parable of the lost sheep, because he understands and his hearers understand. And we need to understand today that the main character of the parable of the lost sheep is God. God is the hero. This is God's story, not our story. And by starting with that, and then giving the other two parables, he's basically giving us a clue that God is the central character in all of the parables. God is the shepherd, the good shepherd. God is the woman who searches for the lost coin. God is the father who runs to his son. That's who God is. There's an in, there's a, in school, when we were learning how to study scripture and there's this thing they call intertextual echo. And what it simply means is when we're reading scripture, we need to pay attention to when we hear those echoes of other scripture. Am I still on? And Ezekiel chapter 34 is one of the primary echoes that the gospel writers refer to when speaking of Jesus. And this is what it says. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. But it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. So it's a prophecy. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Skipping to verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched No one searched or looked for them. Then skipping down to verse 11, it says, I myself. God is saying, hey, listen, because you shepherds, you Levites, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, because you're not seeking out the lost, you're so concerned about your personal purity that you can't even be in the same room as the sinner I will be the good shepherd. I'm going to come and I'm going to seek out the lost. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing. God becomes flesh in Jesus and he's seeking out the lost. He goes, I, I have to be with the sinners because it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were meant to be the shepherds and the, sh- uh, the shepherds of the sheep of Israel and who were supposed to seek after the lost forfeited their responsibility and their purpose. And they were now too concerned with being in the right crowd. Having set the stage, 
What do we see about Jesus from the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost king? Number one, there's two things I think that God is primarily trying to show us. Number one, God is a God of action. I just want to clue you in, guys. We don't serve a God who's passive. He's not sitting on his throne high and above and apart from who we are. Yes, he's on a throne. Yes, he's high and above, but he invades this place every day. In him we live and move and have our being. God is here with us even now. No matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're walking through, God is present. And he's not present to accuse you. He's present to pursue you. He's a God of action. Verse 4 and verse 8 of these parables says this, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? He's not sitting there waiting for sinners to come to him. Yeah, you messed up. You need to come to me. I know that we, our marriages can be like that sometimes, right? I mean, why? I, the first service, a ton of wives were like, uh-huh, that's right. That's right, because we get into little spats and arguments. Someone did something wrong. And that, she was wrong on that one, so I'm not saying sorry. She's saying sorry. She's going to come to me, and I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to sit here. She's coming to me. And that is not Jesus. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. He searches. He roams the hills. He climbs the precipice and jumps the chasm. Why? So he can find the sheep. He's active. And I'm telling you this, I know there are times in our lives when it feels like God is not there to answer. I know, I know that there are storms that we walk through and God seems so distant. But even when we don't realize that God is pursuing and we're actively working, He is. You know why I know? Because that is who He is. He's active. He's dynamic. The Israelites were the, is, I, the Israelites for 400 years didn't hear from God. After the end of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, 400 years of silence. You think maybe they were under the heel of Rome. You think maybe they were praying? As they were taken advantage of by Roman soldiers, pillaged, raped, you think they were praying? 400 years of silence. And yes, I love the way Matthew says, at, in the fullness of time. Even, when the, even in the silence, God was working. He was actively working and bringing them to a place where he could come in the flesh. Because it wasn't enough to just send someone else with his word. It wasn't enough to send someone and trust someone else with the responsibility of going after the lost. No, he was going to do it himself. God is active. I remember when I was a few months back, I, I had the opportunity to share with you guys from the stage on Sunday morning, and I shared a story about when I lost my son, Ransom, in Korea. We were visiting Korea. And if you weren't there, uh, what happened was I didn't do anything to lose him. It's not like he was in my back pocket and I was walking along and he dropped out, right? And then, oh, where'd he go? You know, he, he was, I mean, he was small. He might have fit in my back pocket. But we were in Korea. We were sitting in a shop and, and we tried to tell our kids, 
hey, listen, from, I mean, from early on, we, even if they don't understand language yet, I just believed that my words were making a difference, right, of forming him in some way. And I was like, don't, don't wander off, right? How many, how many parents have ever said that to their children? Don't wander off. Okay, so I'm with my, don't, okay, they're together. Okay, I'm going to go into the changing room. I walk out, and he thought, Oh, the door's open in the store. It looks good. I'm going to crawl right out that door. And listen, guys, I was terrified. Now, I'm telling you now, I didn't think to myself, I'm just going to sit back. I told him not to go. Mm-mm. He's in the wrong. I'm just going to wait here till he comes back. That was not even remotely close to the frantic pursuit that I performed in the streets of Chunju, Korea, okay, this half-white, half-Korean guy running down the street screaming in English, ransom, I mean screaming, I was screaming, guys, I was screaming. And, And I'll tell you this much, too much is not enough in that kind of situation. And I think God has the same attitude. Too much is not enough. I'm going, it's not even remotely on his mind to wait for the lost. He's after you. He's after the lost. The second thing that we see is that God is the unfaltering pursuer. I love this. I remember uh, one time I I was cross-country practice in high school, got done. It was a Saturday. So we drove, right? I drove. And uh, I I was borrowing my dad's car and I just had this key I had his key in my pocket and uh, I don't know if you know much about cross-country but um, it's not like the shorts are real big (laughs) okay they're they're actually relatively unseemly (laughs) let's just say that especially for someone like me you know I just am not comfortable with that kind of leg you know (laughs) and anyhow I had it like kind of Wedged it. There's no pockets, of course not, <laughs> right? So I had it wedged in there in the, in the strap of my shorts, and we get done, and the grass hadn't been cut on this beautiful field where we were running, and it popped out. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't know how. I looked down, and it was gone. And I spent five hours looking for that key, sweating in the sun, but mostly because my dad was at home waiting for me. And I searched, and I searched, and I searched. And I stood up, and I thought, I'm never going to find it. And I said, please help me, Father. Help me, Jesus. And I kid you not, guys, I was walking back to the car, and I looked down, and I said, help me find it, Lord. And I didn't see anything, but I see this one patch of grass that's like wedged down, almost like it was woven together. And I reached down, and I kind of pulled the grass out like I was angry. And guess what was under that weave but that key? I searched until I found it. God searched. It says the sheep, the shepherd leaves, and he searched until he found it. Then the woman loses her coin. And what does she do? She searches carefully until she finds it. You know what that tells me? God is searching until. 
He won't stop until he finds. There will never be a day in your life God is not in pursuit of you. There is never a sin that can overcome his pursuit. There's no hurdle too high. Ain't no mountain high enough. Okay, now I'm pulling my Pastor Russ out. I didn't, I didn't, woo, just, just translating him from Asheville right now. There isn't a chasm that God won't jump for you. That's what I'm telling you this morning. It don't matter. Listen, I'm skipping in notes, but it's okay. Listen, it didn't matter about how lost the sheep was. It didn't affect God's pursuit, and it didn't affect God's action. And if you want the truth, there is no sin in your life that will cause God to stop being active for and in and through you. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that you can sin in the most egregious ways, in the most ugly ways, but God loves you and he's seeking you. And he's, he's just searching and searching. His eyes are wandering to and fro throughout the earth for you. That's who God is. He's the unfailing and unfaltering pursuer. Now, who are we? Or let's go with who are the lost. Second point is who are the lost? What do we learn about the lost from this scripture? In the ancient Greek language of the New Testament, the word translated as lost in Luke 15 is apolumi. And it has different various meanings depending on the context, but generally this is what it means. It means to destroy, to ruin, or to lose. Obviously, in the context of the parable of the lost sheep, it means to lose. The lost sheep. It's no longer with the shepherd, nor is it with the 99. But I want to submit to you this morning that it's not by accident that lost in the Greek word is combined with destroyed or ruined. Because here's what happens. When, there is, when the sheep is lost, the connection and the relationship the shepherd has with the sheep is destroyed. It's ruined. The depth and the force of those words are included in being lost. So when it's lost, it speaks to the heart of the shepherd for the sheep. It's ruined. Something's ruined in our relationship. Something's broken. I'm not offended by the brokenness. I want to fix the brokenness. Here's where the dead things come back to living. Someone, in Luke 15, someone has gone astray. Someone has wandered off, and someone's been separated from their rightful place. That's what lost means. Lost means I had it, it's with me, it's supposed to be with me, and I lost it. And that's important, because I think what it tells us about the lost is that they belong, even if they're missing. The lost belong. See, the Pharisees were so concerned, they're saying, oh, sin cut them out from the family of God. They're no longer. Until there's a sacrifice made on their behalf, they're no longer a part of, the God, a part of God's family. And here's what I'm telling you. No, 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 no. Jesus says, no, look, look, look. It's not about being cut out from the family of God. They are a part. They're, they're always meant to be here. They belong in this place. They're just missing. 
they're lost. They're missing and they're lost. So what you take as reasons for rejection, I take for reasons for pursuit. The lost sheep and the lost coin are examples of something that has been misplaced or lost and needs to be found and brought back to where they belong. The second thing it tells us is this. It speaks to the unconditional value of the lost. The use of the word apollomia emphasizes the idea of its value. And, I, and, and I, when I first used, when I used to read the, the parable of the lost coin, I used to wonder to myself, why? Why did they use a coin? It's kind of dehumanizing, isn't it? I mean, we're more than just money, aren't we? And this is why, because I think Jesus is trying to make a very specific point. And I'll illustrate it with my own story. I, I, uh, I grew up moving every three years, but there was a, a certain segment of time that I, in fifth, from fifth to eighth grade, I lived in a small backwoods cow town. That's the only thing I can call it because that's what it did. It raised cows. My house was an acre and a half of land and then about, I don't know, acreage of cows, just cows. And it stunk. Like it was bad. Okay. But when you grow up in fifth grade, I mean, it's kind of life, right? And I'm going to go outside and play because at the time, there was, there was, like, Nintendo was just barely coming on the scene, and we didn't have that. So I'm out there, you know, we're playing, I mean, we did everything. Dry cow patties, great. They make great baseball base, bases. <laughs> so we did, we did. But every once in a while, it wasn't quite as dry as it should have been. And you would slide, oh, yeah. Filthy. It was filthy. Disgusting. Now, here's the thing. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it, you yeah. And there was this uh, canal that runs through this area, right? Because people are, like, trying to raise their cows, I guess. I don't know. But it was maybe five, six feet across, so it was big. It wasn't, and it wasn't like what you see in, sit, like, nice cities where it's, like, all paved. No it's, it's, no, it's just mud or what I'd like to think was mud. And that, that canal just goes all through everywhere, and I loved it. I loved it. I wanted to be in the water all the time, and it was just a catch-all for all these cows and, and all that comes with cows. So what we would do is we would, like, put on goggles, me and my friends. We would just get in the water, and just, it was like an oasis. I was like, just, you know, frolicking, frolicking, guys. And I would dive to the bottom and we would hold on to rocks because it was pretty swift moving, right? We would hold on to rocks and you would watch all the debris just <laughs> flowing past and just, and we were like, ah, <laughs> you know, in the water. And uh, um, yeah, it was really fun. It was a lot of fun. We did a lot. And my mom, I, I mean, I could go into a lot of the cool, fun stories, but this particular time I was out there, we were doing that, and I pulled this big rock out and Underneath, wouldn't you know it, was this quarter. I barely recognized what it was. I just saw shiny. I thought, ooh, shiny. Grabbed it. I'm in fifth grade. This is what, 90, I don't know, 92 maybe? I don't know, something like that. In 91? I don't Don't do the math, okay? Just knock it off. So anyways, I, I, I got this. It was a quarter. It was all green and brown, and I kind of rubbed it, and it's all scuffed up, but it's a quarter. And I took it to the store, and you could actually buy stuff with a quarter back then. And, and I walked in, and I got myself a candy bar. And you know what that store did? It took that quarter. Do you know why? 
because it was worth 25 cents. It didn't matter the muck and the filth in which I found it. It didn't matter how scuffed up it was. Why? Because there was a higher power, called the government, that assigned a certain value to that coin. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's no sin that will decrease our value because a higher power called God of all creation of heaven and earth has assigned value to you. Sin has no impact on your value. Sin. We make a lot to do about sin, and it is a terrible thing. Sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. It causes separation. But here's what it does not cause. It does not cost a decrease in your value. Who are the lost? The lost are the ones who belong but are missing. And the lost are the ones who are unconditionally, immeasurably valuable. Now, after that, who are we? That's the question. Who are we? Just as there are three groups of people that Jesus is sharing these parables with, I think it provides us with three different people groups by which to understand ourselves. Are we the tax collectors and the sinners? Are we the Pharisees? Or are we disciples? The thing is, is I think we are all three. We are like the sinners and the tax collectors because we are all sinners. And we sin every day. We sin when we don't know we're sinning. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Now here's the thing. A lot of scholars talk about how dumb sheep are. And it provides a good image for who we are. And those of us with kids are like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that checks out. But here, here, let me just clue you in. It's a little more nuanced than that. What happens is, if you think about grass in the Middle East, it grows in tufts. It's a desert climate. It grows in tufts and patches. And what would happen is, the sheep, it's not that they're just dumb. It's that they're so focused, they're so focused on what they're eating that they don't pay attention to anything else. Okay? And so what happens is, they finish eating there and they go, oh, I'm still hungry. There it is. There we go. And they keep going. And then they get done with that one, and they keep going. And they get done with that one, and they keep going. And pretty soon, before they know it, they look up and they go, where am I? And I think that is a picture-perfect example of our lives. We get so concerned with the things that we consume, be it entertainment, be it money, be it relationships, whatever it is, we're so focused, we're not paying attention to where it's leading us. And before you know it, before you know it, you're lost. But praise God. Recognizing that I'm lost only means recognizing that God is after me. 
It, uh, it means that God's action is after me and he'll never stop. He'll never falter. Recognizing that I'm a sinner means that I belong, even if I'm missing. Listen, if you feel like you can't come into this place because of your sin, you're wrong because this is precisely where you belong. No matter what your sin is, it's just a sign of the fact that you belong in this place. And four points is to reach the least and the lost and the lonely. Our whole mission is to see people who are lost at home in this family. Our sin and lostness can cause great distance, but God causes us to belong. It makes us unconditionally valuable. I'm here to tell you this morning, before you leave this house, you are valuable. I know that sin makes you, I know that sin and failure and shame, it makes you feel like you're not worthy. But your worthiness is not based in your action, it's based in God's command. His spoken word over you. In fact, let me just say this, God's pursuit, his unrelenting pursuit is only revealing our unrelenting value. You're valuable. Son, daughter, you're valuable. I know you don't always feel like it, but you are. You're valuable. And your value does not change because of sin. The second thing, we are all like Pharisees and teachers of the law. We, we often, if not always, get caught up into the judgment of others because of their faults and their sins. We hear a pastor, we don't, even, we don't even need to know if it's true. If we hear something about a pastor, oh man, sin is in his life, and then we see that pastor on TV or we hear him on the radio, what do we do? Oh, mutter, 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 exactly like the Pharisees and the tax collector. But perhaps the church is precisely where they need to be. Now, does there need to be change? Absolutely. I'm not saying we just, yeah, let him sin in his life. That's cool. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to be found. And we shouldn't be pushing people out of the doors of the church. We should be drawing them in. And here's what's so scary. As the shepherd's friends rejoice when he finds that which was lost, right? So the shepherd finds the sheep. And what does he do? He calls all his friends together. And he says, hey, rejoice with me, right? The woman seeks carefully, finds the coin, calls her friends together and says, I found it. This thing of immeasurable worth to me, I found it. And they rejoice. Jesus speaking. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were not celebrating. Revealing the fact that they we're not a part of the group called friends of God. By pushing away the lost, they themselves are revealed to be lost. This is exactly what we see with the lost brother, right? He's standing outside. He won't even go in to see his brother that just came, came back from being lost. The older brother's standing outside. He won't even go in. He's angry. He's not apart. He's outside. Why? Because he's lost. Because he's lost. Finally, we're going to close here. 
we are called to be his disciple. We're created to be like Jesus. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it's the creation story. God's creating humanity. And verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, right? Many of us have heard this. But in Colossians chapter 1, this is really interesting. Colossians chapter 1 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You know what that tells me? That means before we were created in the image of God, Jesus is the image, the perfect image of God in the earth. So when we see Jesus in the scriptures, we're seeing an image that we're called, we're not just called, we're not just told to be like Jesus, we're created to be like Jesus. We were always meant to be like Jesus. So what does that mean? Just like Jesus, we don't see sinners as those who don't belong in this place. But we see them as those who belong. Listen, how many of you have lost a loved family member? Think about what it feels like at the Thanksgiving table when they're not sitting in the chair that they've always sat in. That loss and that feeling of, ah! We are created to feel that for the lost. For those people out there, for the people you disagree with, for the people you're fighting with, for the people you don't like, for the people that are different from you, for those that have sinned so badly in this life that everyone else has turned away from them, we are created to love them with that kind of love. That seat next to you, that empty seat next to you should bother you. Because I can tell you this much, much it bothers God. Because there are people meant to be sitting there, apart. They belong in that seat. We're called to be a people of action, even as God is a God of action. We don't sit here in this church waiting for the lost to come, but we go. We are called to be unfaltering pursuers, even as God is the unfaltering pursuer. We're called to just pursue. That's why Paul says this to, to the church. He says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for at the fullness of time you will receive your reward. And what is that reward? Life and life abundant, not just for yourself, but for everyone who's around us. That's who you're created to be. Listen, a pastor is not like, oh, that's who you're created. No, 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 no. Listen, I do this only to perhaps, maybe, hopefully by the power of God, show the way. That's it. But we're all, as his people, called to pursue to walk in deeds greater than what we see Jesus doing in Scripture. And that's my last point. We're called, we're created. Let me end with a story. When I graduated Oral Roberts University, I had the opportunity to be a ropes facilitator for a week-long training camp for any student, any and all students that were going to go on small uh, short-term missions trips. And so what we would do is I would take them through and we would do all the different, you know, trust, fall, you know, all that, that stuff. And uh, it was a great privilege and honor to do that. We talk about how to serve. Well, one year we, we actually based the theme of the entire week, and we're talking like 300 students, okay? So we, the whole theme of the week was called Go After the One based on this. Go After the One. And there was this 
thing that we made them do, and it may sound like torture, and maybe it was. You know, in my age, as I'm getting older, I look back and go, Oof. But we, we took this rock, a very specific rock, and the teams, there's 300 students, but so there's like lots of teams. Teams range from like maybe five to seven. So we take these teams, and we threw this rock out in the field. I said, go after it. Go after the one. And they spent hours in the hot summer sun in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which you guys know that kind of heat. You know, me, I'm from Colorado, so I'm like, <laughs> what is this heat? <laughs> and, you know, and I'm, I'm, we're out there sweating, and they're out there getting burned. And this is how it starts. They're excited, right? They're excited. And then here's the thing. I don't care if you leave this place excited. I want you to leave this place on, on track, on purpose, according to calling. So they get out there, and they're excited. But you know what? In that heat, it saps that excitement real quick. So they start getting frustrated. And then they start questioning. Did you really put a rock out here? Is there a really lost rock out here? Is, is it really out here? And then they start getting angry. And then they start complaining, right? And then we just kept them out there. We didn't, it's out there, come on. And here's what happened, they pushed them past themselves. And all of a sudden, one student starts crying. And it like spreads like wildfire. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you crying about? And she says, I was just thinking about the lost and how God does this. She starts weeping. And that whole thing turned into a prayer meeting for the countries that they were going to go to. Go after the one. Guys, I'm challenging you. I'm exhorting you. Go after the one. Not because I told you to, not because scripture tells you to, but because it's who you are. You're created in the image of Jesus Christ and God, the unfaltering pursuer. It's who you are. Church, it's who you are. The value that you have, they have. And they belong in this place. And they're not going to get here without you. Go after the one. Next week is Easter. What an easy opportunity. Amen. So as you leave this place, you can stand to your feet. As you leave this place, here's what I want you to remember. You belong. You're immeasurably valuable. And God has created inside of you a capacity to love like he loves the lost. Then go forth from this place and be Jesus to your friends, to your family, and to your community. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you honor and praise. Prayer team, if you want to come forward, that would be great. And Lord, we just humble ourselves before you and we say, God, we don't feel valuable. We sin and we mess up and we stumble and we fall. And God, when we are walking in the storm, it's scary and, and we cling to things that we think are going to keep us afloat. But the truth is, it's you alone. You alone are where the dead things come back to life. You alone. But you're our friend, and you're pursuing us. And God, I just pray, change us and transform us, that we would go from this place confident of our value, confident of our belonging, that we might go and help people receive their value and receive their calling and receive their belonging in this place. 
Lord, we understand Christianity is not just something we add to the sides of our lives, to the periphery of our lives. It is who we are. It's all that we are. And when all this world passes away, what remains is you and our relationship with you. Change this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.